This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Here's the one-two pitch on its way to Ortiz. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. The Rays win. The Rays win. 56 episodes of the play-by-play cast in the books as we welcome you in. My name is Joel Godet. This is, of course, the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. I'm the voice of the Ball State Cardinals of the Mid-American Conference for football and basketball and baseball and sometimes volleyball and occasionally gymnastics on the road. That happened once. And, uh... Summertime is one of those weird times. I've talked about it a few times on this podcast. In college sports, like you're just out of the normal grind. And I'm one of those people that thrives on that grind. Like you hate always having something to do because I come home, like I go to work, I, I go to the gym, I come home, I prep, I eat, I go to sleep. And it's like that same thing every day. And you sometimes want a break from it. And then you get a break from it over the summer and you don't know what to do. That said... I actually found uh, an interesting thing to do over the last couple of weeks. I admittedly am not a connoisseur of the game of basketball. Uh, I stopped playing when I was in fifth grade. My dad was my coach. Uh, He did not play me anymore. Uh, At that point, I decided it was probably a a good time to hang it up. The only things I remembered about that season were in a practice. I asked to play point guard once, and I dribbled off my foot. That was the end of that. And in a game... I tripped over my feet bringing the ball across half court on a break and thought I got fouled, uh, and I didn't. Um, I did get fouled later in the year, and I missed both free throws against the the Knicks. I was on the Magic. We played the Knicks. They had a guy named Case Mark Antonio. I don't know what ever happened to him. Uh, he was really good in fifth grade. Um, but I got fouled against his team, and I missed, I missed both free throws. So that's the extent of my basketball career. So there are just some things I don't, know about basketball and I, I'm not ashamed to admit that as a, I mean, I'm a, a division one basketball voice um, I lean on my analyst in basketball more than I would in baseball or even football which I've never played um, but have taken to understanding it a little bit differently or better than basketball so over the last couple of weeks uh, and our coaching staff has been great at Ball State I've had the opportunity to actually sit down and I watch film with the team during the, the course of the season, but that's always different. You know, you're, you're not really asking questions. You're just kind of watching and observing and learning um, about scouting reports and things of that nature. But over the last couple of weeks, I've had the chance to sit down with uh, a guy by the name of Jason Gronkemeyer. He's the associate head coach at Ball State, played with Wally Zerbiak at Miami. I uh, went to the Sweet 16 with him. Uh, good dude. <laughs> but, but we've had a chance to sit down in uh, our, our basketball team conference room and actually watch film together. Um, and if you're a broadcaster, and even if you're super confident in the sports you call, I'd highly recommend it. If you, you work at a school or you work with a team, if you get an opportunity to sit with a coach one-on-one and break down film, I have more understanding about the game of basketball now than I've ever had. And that's after just a couple of hours. Um, we just talked about our defensive scheme how it works, why it works, why we guard certain things a certain way. Um, and then we just watch film and like literally broke down a play. What happened here? What went right here? What went wrong here? Who's supposed to go where? Who's supposed to go here? Why? Who can bring the ball up the floor? Who can't bring the ball up the floor? Where guys are supposed to run on the break? All those types of things. Um, and I'm kind of geeked. Basketball's a long way out. Uh, but I'm kind of geeked to, to do a game now and just kind of watch with those glasses on. Um, so if you get a chance, take that for what it's worth. Uh, if, if you have the opportunity to, to watch some film with coaches or things of that nature, uh, take advantage of it and, and see what it can do for you as well. Uh, all right. That being said, <laughs> we're going to talk not about basketball at all today. <laughs> uh, Dave Wills is our guest. He is the longtime voice of the Tampa Bay Rays, originally the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. He joined Tampa in 2005. He has been there ever since with Andy Freed, who's his partner 
And personal story for me is that I used to broadcast in Tampa. I, I did women's basketball and baseball at South Florida, and then I did Florida State League baseball in Bradenton, which is about an hour south of, of Tampa. Uh, so I used to listen to Dave and Andy on the regular, pretty much every night. Uh, when I was in minor league baseball, every night on the way home from the ballpark, I'd catch the last couple innings. But uh, I think Dave and Andy, and we'll make a joke about this in the in the pod, I think Dave and Andy are one of the best broadcast teams. Uh, they're easily in my top three in Major League Baseball. I love the way they work together. I love listening to a game. It's entertaining. It's informative. Uh, I, I just like what those two guys bring to the table. So I was super excited to get to sit down and do this podcast with Dave. And then also, they're just good dudes. When I was in Bradenton, I had the opportunity. I, I spent four, five, maybe six games. Um, that's probably on the high side. Three, four, five games in the booth with those guys. Um, just sat behind them and listened and watched and observed, followed them around pregame one day, sat in the office when they did their Joe Madden interview, I think I read a Subway commercial on the air one year. I don't even remember. I think I did. That was my major league debut. I read a Subway ad on a Rays game. I think that happened. I might be making that up or parts of it up, but I think it happened. Uh, so super stoked to be able to talk to Dave Wills. Um, his career path is interesting. He will tell you right off the top. It's not one that's easy to replicate, but when he graduated from college, he, and he wanted to be a broadcaster, admired Harry Carey um, from an early age as a Chicago guy. Uh, but he got into coaching baseball. Um, so he'll talk about that little diversion of a path and then how he got directed back into broadcasting and how he broke in in Chicago and in Chicagoland and climbed his way up eventually to be part of the Chicago White Sox broadcast team and then eventually in 2005 when he became part of the Rays broadcast team. That is the uh, backstory. Dave Wills is our guest on episode 56 of the Play-By-Play cast. You know, I wouldn't take my path to uh, Major League Baseball broadcaster, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I was playing college ball at Elmhurst College and uh, enjoying it, and like everybody else, thought, you know, hey, what the heck, you know, maybe just maybe somebody's going to take a flyer on a on a guy that on occasionally hits 80 miles an hour with his fastball. And, <laughs> Uh, you know, pitched against, uh, you know, guys like Joe Girardi, who I joke with now that's still 0 for 1 against me lifetime. And, uh, Brady Hall was a guy I pitched against at Northwestern, who was a number one draft pick. So, you know, it, it, you always have that dream that maybe somehow, some way you're going to get there as a player. But uh, I was working for a company called Sports Phone my last two full years at uh, Elmhurst College. I was doing uh, sports updates for them. Uh, when I graduated from Elmhurst, I stay. I you know I even I got a full time job there after my junior year in college. So uh, I spent my last year and a half at Elmhurst College working full time, playing baseball, and and going to school uh, you know almost full time. So it was a little crazy there for a while, and I did everything I could at Sports Phone. I covered a Super Bowl. I uh, you know did uh, some hockey playoffs and and had a blast, but uh, got a little bored with just doing updates. I always thought to myself I wanted to be a play by play guy, but you know. At the time, there weren't a whole lot of openings in the city of Chicago for 22, 23-year-olds. So uh, at that particular time, I decided to take a job in PR with the Chicago Bruisers. Uh, that lasted a little more than a year because the team uh, suspended operations of the, the entire league did after the uh, 88 season. And so I was kind of caught at a crossroads. And so at that particular time, I uh, started coaching baseball at Elmhurst College where I went to school. And I was their uh, assistant uh, coach, pitching coach, slash recruiting coordinator. I did that for a season, and then the University of Chicago called to be their head baseball coach. And at uh, about 25 years old, I was probably one of the youngest coaches going in college baseball, and I thought to myself, you know what, this would be kind of a cool thing to do. Um, I enjoyed it, had a lot of fun. We had some success, not a lot, but we had some. And, um, you know, I thought to myself, well, maybe this uh, could be a, a nice career path. Uh, I'll still be involved in baseball. And so I called my pitching coach from Elmhurst College, who was the manager of the Wausau Timber Rattlers, I think their name was, or something like that. And uh, he said, uh, I asked him to be a reference on my resume to stay in coaching, and he said no. He said he wanted me to get back into broadcasting, and he knew of a job. And I started thinking to myself, well, how does a guy from Wausau, who you know coaches in Wausau, Wisconsin, who spends his summers in Australia, know about um, any baseball jobs? But as it turned out, um, 
uh, or his winners in Australia know about any baseball jobs. And it turned out that he knew that the Wausau team was moving to Kane County. And so he told me to send a tape of me doing a game, any game, to the uh, ownership group. And that's what I did. And then next thing you know, uh, a couple of pieces started to fall in place. And uh, I got hired by the Kane County Cougars to become, uh, as Bill Larson, the then general manager, said, about 70% sales, uh, 20% uh, communications and slash uh, marketing. And then maybe, just maybe, he'd mix me into the broadcast booth. And uh, it wasn't until about mid-March when I think he just got sick of taking phone calls from everybody that uh, <laughs> uh, wanted to do the broadcast that he finally just looked at me and said, or I think he was yeah, he was actually on the phone with a guy uh, who, who thought he was going to get the job. And he told the guy right then and there, he said, nope, uh, Dave Wills is going to do our games. So uh, uh, to this day, I don't think he listened to my resume tape, but I just <laughs> happened to be you know, the fourth person hired by the Cougars at the time was doing sales and doing a decent job and doing some other things for the team, and he just decided, you know, what the heck, uh, do the play-by-play. Why do you think your old pitching coach said no and told you to go into broadcasting? Well, at that particular time, I was, you know, working for Sports Phone, so he knew I had a broadcasting background, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he would hear me on that nine seven six one three one three number, and we would joke around a lot of times. As a pitcher, obviously, you got a lot of time on your hands if you're not starting, and, and I was the uh, lone lefty on the staff, so I started. I did some relieving, so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of time sitting around waiting to get your call, so I uh, would jokingly do like a dugout show every once in a while using a bat as a microphone <laughs> and, and would have a little fun and on occasion even do a little play-by-play and so I think he knew that that was my passion. He knew that that was something I wanted to do. And uh, like I said, it was just kind of a Forrest Gump moment. I hadn't talked to him in several years. Uh, knew that he was uh, managing up there, and I thought it would. I honestly did think that it was going to be something that would look good on my resume, having a professional uh, baseball guy uh, saying that you know this guy would be a good coach in, in the future. And uh, when he said no, at first I thought to myself, well, wait a second. I did everything you always wanted me to do. I worked hard. I practiced hard. I, I played as well as I could. And when he uh, offered me the alternative, I guess uh, I owe him a lot now. There's no doubt. I was going to say, does it make a lot more sense now in hindsight? Like, Is that the, is that the appreciative moment when you kind of look back and say things could have gone really differently? It, you know, it's one of those moments, no doubt. I mean, uh, you know, I think I, I would have had fun doing college, uh, college baseball. Uh, you know, we, we didn't do as well as I had hoped, but I think we still went like 15 and 20 or 15 and 21, which at the time – was the most wins that the University of Chicago had ever had. And uh, so I really, really did enjoy it. And I think that uh, if there's one little regret in my, uh, in my life, it's that I don't think I coached the way that I probably would now. Um, I think I was a little more uh, um, maybe uh, Earl Weaver-like where I would probably be. I wouldn't say I'd be Joe Madden-like, but I think I'd be a little more uh, toward Joe Madden where, um, you know, I, I kind of felt like whenever something went wrong that was all on me, that I, you know, that – the reason why these guys didn't hit the cutoff man was my fault, and I took it as too personally. So um, I think I would have lived and learned. Obviously, you don't know that stuff at 24, 25 years old, but um, I think it would have been a kind of a cool career path. It would have been better than selling insurance, I think, um, which was also right around that same time. Uh, I had taken a test for a company who, uh, for the guy that I had coached with at the Pony League level who owned his own t- insurance companies, and uh, I-, I passed the test, and the guy said, well, you know, at the end of this year, you should probably be making fifty to sixty thousand dollars, and by the end of three to five years, you probably could be close to making a hundred grand. And you know, when you're making three hundred dollars or four hundred dollars a week bartending and coaching at Division Three, um, you know that, that that's a lot of money. And and at the time, I thought to myself, you know what? All my buddies who graduated from the University of Illinois and a few other places are all making a decent living, and here I am, kind of scraping by. And I thought, well, you know what? I could start making some money now, but what would I feel like at 40 years old? Would I feel like I gave broadcasting a chance? And so that was another kind of crosswords moment where I thought to myself, you know what, I don't want to be 40 years old and regret not chasing after my dreams. So there were, there were a couple of moments there in the, uh, in the early 20s where you're watching your buddies graduate from college and they're making money and you're still kind of scrapping along. But uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, too, it's not always about money. It's about waking up and enjoying what you do. I want to bounce off that real quick and then come back uh, to, to kind of the progression for you. But being having been a head coach uh, and actually having done that side of things versus former players and things of that nature that are in the booth or just broadcasters that are in the booth, uh, how does having been a coach and having been in that seat inform kind of what you do now and, and maybe give you a little bit of a different perspective? Well, I think it helps you explain some things uh, because you've been there and 
and you've explained things to 25 or whatever the case was, young men trying to learn the game of baseball. Now, you know, things evolve. So what I was teaching back in 1990, <laughs> True. 1989 and 90 is not necessarily what they're teaching here in uh, 2017, but there's some of the same principles. There's no doubt. So I, I think it allows me to break down what happens in a game and what guys might be doing and what they should be doing. And so, um, you know, I, I try to always explain and preface it, not all the time, but I do preface it probably at least once a game saying that I never did play at this level. I never did coach at this level, but you know, it, it's, it's not like it's brain surgery because uh, four-year-olds are playing this type of game on t- on a T-ball. So um, there's still some, some, you know, rudimentary uh, principles that are involved around the game of baseball that everybody should follow. So I think that having coached it, and uh, having had to deal with uh, a number of people has allowed me to, uh, you know, again, break down the game a certain way and, and see it maybe a little bit differently than uh, the average play-by-play guy. And um, I think, it, it, you know, when you, when you have a two-play-by-play man booth like we do with myself and Andy Freed, it's one of those things where you do feel like one of us has to be an analyst on occasion. And uh, every few innings, I have to be the guy that tries to share some thoughts as far as why that happened and how it happened. And I think uh, by having played it and having coached that at least a college level, which is a fairly high level, uh, allows me to do that. Let me ask you about sports phone real quick, because we, we, I feel like we're getting a, a, a smaller and smaller sect of the population as time goes on that, that remembers it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I still do. Uh, what was it like to, to be a part of sports phone? Well, you know, I mean, it's got a pretty good history, especially in the Chicagoland area. I mean, uh, you know, when I got there, it, it really was right, you know, on the the not too far after ESPN came to to play. But at that particular time, even on ESPN from whatever it was, nine o'clock in the morning till they started programming at like five or six in the afternoon. Uh, really, all you were watching was like Australian rules football. They didn't have all day sports centers back then. So really about the only place that you could get an update on the world of sports would be if you waited once every half hour on one of the local AM stations, or if you wanted to call 976-1313 and get an update every 10 or 15 minutes. And especially when it came to scores, I think we were a, a better's best friend because um, <laughs> when it came to scores on Sunday, Saturdays and Sundays, we did college football and, college, and, and, and NFL football, and uh, that became kind of like my specialty. I was hired when the uh, Chicago office was uh, expanding and picking up uh, some of the Los Angeles and San Francisco and uh, Sacramento market. So I was hired to uh, uh, do some of the updates from Sacramento and, you know, in a booth in Chicago, but with a, uh, a Sacramento, San, San Francisco and or Los Angeles uh, headline. So it was a little different, but, uh, you know, I did it for about a week or 10 days. And then they came to me and said, hey, we're looking to hire some people full time. Would you be interested? And I was fortunate enough to get hired full time. And, um, you know, and then it, it came down to about 1987. Uh, our lead broadcaster morning guy uh chris bowden was leaving to become uh some things with uh, some tv so it came down to me and jeff joniak <laughs> to uh who was going to be the monday through friday nine to five guy and uh i honestly never ever wanted to work nine to five so they said well here's your choice you can work nine to five or you could uh continue to work your hours which for me were saturdays sundays and mondays i got 40 hours and in three days um i said uh and that person will be able to cover the 1988 Super Bowl in San Diego. I said, sign me up. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do 9 to 5. So Jeff Joniak ended up doing 9 to 5, and now he's the voice of the Chicago Bears. And I ended up, uh, you know, continuing to do my weekend slots and uh, and then covered the Super Bowl in 1988 and had a blast. And uh, so that's really how it kind of worked out. But but Sports Phone was really, it, it you know, it made you concentrate. It made you uh, stay focused because you tried to get in a 60-second uh, window uh, probably in my time, probably 30 to 33 uh, scores, and you were updating them, especially during the NFL season, every five minutes. So you were going in, reporting it for one minute, coming out, writing stuff down for three or four minutes, and going back in and updating it. And uh, I think it's at times before they started charging a quarter a call, we were getting over a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand calls a weekend <laughs> to check up on scores. So it was a it was a great starting point for me. It allowed me to start and stay in the city of Chicago and. Uh, I'm forever grateful for that opportunity, no doubt. How does one build uh, a career in a market like Chicago, too? Once, you know, you, 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 you got in with the sports phone, you started doing the Kane County Cougar stuff, and then you kind of added as you went. And, and, I mean, you said right off the top, it's hard as a 21, 22, 23-year-old to crack that landscape. But can you kind of take me on the, the path that you took to be able to, to carve a niche and, 
and grow, get better, uh, eat, uh, all of those things uh, that that go into it. You know what? I mean, obviously, uh, it's probably a little bit easier now, and I and I kind of you know say easier with a grain of salt because there's uh, you know multiple sports stations there now. There's AM 1000, ESPN 1000, and then there's uh, the Score. So yeah. you know, with multiple sports stations, you could you know grow as a producer and then work your way up. And uh, uh, for me, you know, growing up when I did, uh, we didn't have that. So. I was fortunate enough to, uh, like I said, start at Sportsphone, and Sportsphone had had a uh, a pretty good uh, following at that particular time. Plus, guys like Wes Grobstein, who had already been working in Chicago radio, had started there. Uh, Pat Benkowski had worked in Chicago radio, had started there. So we had a little bit of a uh, uh, you know background, and people knew who you were that way. And then covering games, and so you know you, you made some acquaintances, you got to know some people, and 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 then I was fortunate enough, uh, like I said. Uh, having worked for sports phone and then went to the Chicago bruisers as a director of communications, again, maintaining a contact and getting to know some more people, uh, within the media. But, uh, at that particular time, obviously there weren't probably too many 22 year olds that were able to stay in Chicago. You had to probably move on to another smaller market for a while and, and then hopefully work your way back, uh, into the city. But, uh, you know, again, like I said, I took a very, very, um, unique route to say the least. And, uh, I was fortunate enough that after I left sports phone, got back into coaching, did some Kane County stuff. And, and while I was at Kane County, I applied to become a uh, hockey announcer at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And again, to give you kind of an idea, it was turned down because I didn't have as much of a Chicago background as a guy named Judd Surratt did. <laughs> and so uh, Judd got the job. And then it was a couple of years later, uh, maybe not even a year, maybe maybe two years or a year where the Chicago Wolves started. And this was after I'd already started with Kane County. So then I went interviewed for the Wolves job, thinking that it'd be kind of a cool gig, do uh, baseball in the summer and hockey in the winter. And uh, the, the Wolves people said, well, we want to hire a full-time guy. And, um, you know, so you probably would have to quit baseball. And at that time, I wasn't ready to quit baseball. I thought, you know, and as a matter of fact, I thought the Cougars were probably a little better situation than the Wolves were anyway. So, Judd Surratt ended up getting the Wolves job, which opened up the UIC hockey job. So then I went back to that and got it. And then I got the uh, UIC basketball job, and, and then the rest is history. I ended up getting the job with the White Sox. Um, I ended up then working from the White Sox to the Rays. So it's kind of funny how you can be turned down for something, and it still kind of you know works your way in your favor. So you just keep plugging away. Um, like I said, it's probably a little bit easier now in Chicago with uh, – you know, multiple sports platforms, uh, not only on the radio side, but even on the TV side with uh, CSN Chicago and uh, the Comcast uh, uh, programming that goes on locally. So uh, there's a few more opportunities than there were back in the uh, late 80s than when I was growing up. But uh, it's still, it's not the easiest thing to do to, to be able to stay in one market your whole life, or at least in my part, uh, until I was 40 years old. Take me back to 22, 23, 24-year-old Dave Wills as a play-by-play announcer. Um what what did you do as the voice of the Cougars in terms of uh, things you focused on, things you tried to do to get better? Kind of what was your mindset in terms of how you were going to attack this uh, as a as a craft at a young age? Well, I mean, I, I definitely took the Harry Carey mode of doing things. I wanted to have fun. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough that uh, during that particular time, uh, my first year, Jimmy Pearsall uh, had, had listened to a couple of games and came to the booth then and, and did a couple games with me. So uh, that was my main focus. I just wanted to have fun. I wanted, I did some games from uh, the right field deck. I did some games uh, from, you know, the seats in the, uh, uh, you know, in the bleachers. I did a game from a, a, a lift in the outfield uh, when we had a furniture store tell us that was the greatest seat in the house. So uh, I just wanted to have a good time. And I think that uh, I, I, I did. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I did some games then with Bill Melton, and I think the White Sox then listened to a couple of games, and that paid off in my, uh, uh, in, in my, my, my route to the big league. So I was fortunate enough to uh, work for a team, Kane County, that had a very, very good radio station, too, that a lot of these minor league uh, radio stations maybe get about two blocks or three blocks off the beaten path, and that's about it. This had a chance to reach into the city of Chicago. And so um, 2.5 million people had the opportunity to listen to my games in the minor leagues. That's why... I never did look to go to double A AA or triple A. There was an article about uh, about your partner now, Andy Freed, uh, when he first got the call to join the Rays and come up from Pawtucket, and and, uh, and he said he was in the car and and he he remembered uh, that he cried a little bit when he realized that he had made it to the majors. Uh, 
Do you remember what it was like for you when uh, when you wound up with the White Sox? And then in particular, the first game that you actually called uh, as a fill-in for the White Sox, what that moment was like for you? I, yeah, I do. I mean, I was with Kane County, and um, I had called John Rooney up just to, you know, again, see if he wanted to go out to lunch uh, one day. And he said, I know where you're calling. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, just to go out to lunch with you. And he said, no, you probably heard that Ken Korak's moving on to the Oakland Athletics. And I said, I did not hear that, but thanks. And he said, well, you should get a tape into, you know, this person at the uh, AM 1000 and, or, or I think it was, yeah, it was at that time, AM 1000. And uh, so I did. And then uh, one thing led to another and um, I ended up meeting with him. And about a week later, I, I was remembering, I was just came back from lunch at Kane County and I got a call and uh, he told me he, they wanted me to become the uh, next fill in voice of the Chicago White Sox and do some pregame and postgame. And I just remember leaving my booth, a couple of fist bumps, and then I probably jumped as high as, uh, Michael Jordan. Um, I was really, really pumped up about it. Um, you know, I, again, I, I had truly, truly enjoyed my time at Kane County, but it was really kind of neat to be able to go in and uh, tell your boss that you're moving on to the big leagues. And uh, uh, so I, I, there were no tears. I was just really, really pumped up about it. Um, I remember going to uh, uh, the um, uh, Ray, the Cougars at that time winter baseball banquet, and that's when I made the announcement official and public. And uh, I got a standing ovation from the crowd. But then as soon as they were done doing that, half the crowd really liked me because I was a White Sox guy and half the crowd was mad because they were Cup fans. So uh, <laughs> it was it was it was kind of funny in that regard, too. But uh, I do remember that moment. Uh, just, uh, you know, again, being able to go from a ball to, to the big leagues was uh, a heck of a lot of, uh, you know, hard work was put in. And there were many times I was thinking when I was at King County that Harry Carey never did this. But uh, all in all, it uh, definitely paid off. Do you remember the first game? Uh, yeah, I was in, uh, it was the first game I ever did was, um, I, I was doing a game at, I think I did a game in, in LA or in Anaheim and, um, you know, did a couple of games there, really nervous, uh, you know, checking into the hotel and doing some things. I just remember being, uh, you know, did, did, well, I, the first game I ever did was a spring training game at Fort Myers. Um, and, and then I went back up and did a game in, in Sarasota. So the first games were obviously spring training games. And, you know, the biggest thing is to slow down and, and try to realize that it's, it's still the same game that you call the King County. The players are just a little bigger, better, and better paid. And, uh, you know, and, and maybe there's a few more people listening to you. But uh, that was the biggest thing, just to learn how to breathe and calm down and, and you know, slow things down, I think, is, uh, was, was probably the number one thing, too, and realize you're not getting paid by the word. Mm-hmm. And just keep on doing all the things you did at King County. It's just like we talk about the players. All the things that they did – an A-ball, double-A, and triple-A to get them up to the big leagues is probably going to be good enough to keep them in the big leagues. They don't have to try to do anything more and try any harder. It should work out for them. Walk me through kind of just your style in general. I know you touched on it a little bit um, and the Harry Carey and the having fun and, and that side of things. Uh, but what what to you makes a good broadcast for baseball on radio? Well, I, like, I think I use, I'm, I'm stealing Andy's line here over the last few years, but we just try to be good company. Um, we want, I, I like to think that the, the person that's listening, whether in their car or mowing their lawn or, or even you know, outside weeding or doing whatever they're doing, we're, we're just good company with them. I know some people say it feels like we're sitting next to you at the bar and we're just watching a baseball game together and we're sharing that conversation. And uh, that's, that's the ultimate compliment. I think I, we want to try and make it entertaining. We want to try and make it educating. And uh, at the end of the day, we want people to feel like they're at the game. So, uh, you know, we were, we're really big into making sure that all the ambient sound is out there and being shared and, and that they can hear the crack of the bat and the fans and everything else like that. So, uh, you know, it's not the Dave and Andy show, or at least that's not the way I look at it. It's uh, Dave and Andy doing uh, Tampa Bay Rays baseball. So my, my style is, like I said, it's probably a little rough and gruff at times because I, I gear it a little more toward like a guy like Harry Carey on the baseball side or even Pat Foley on the hockey side. But, uh, I want to make it entertaining. And when, when I call a home run call, I want people to be pumped up. When I call for a big strikeout in a key moment, I want them to maybe even do an umpire motion and be all, all fired up about it. So, uh, um, you know, I, I, I just I think my, my main focus is to uh, entertain and educate the fan and hope that uh, while they're listening that we're good company at the same time. Uh, the, the vocal side of things for you uh... – <laughs> How did, how has that developed? I guess over over time, and uh, you've got I mean you've got such a deep kind of baritone. Part of that I probably guess is natural, but there's a there's that that kind of especially you mentioned like big strikeouts and wanting people to make the ump motion. I mean like there's that that kind of 
belly full kind of growl almost that mm-hmm. just is it's got mm-hmm. this good feel to it um i think somebody called it guttural one time i'm not even <laughs> sure what that means but uh, you know it, it just it, it's it's again big moments and and you know one of the things i remember about harry Carey doing games and even pat foley is that you know when they had big moments uh you remembered them and you know the hair stood up on the back of your neck or you, you know you got goosebumps or whatever the case so uh those are big moments and, and they should be treated that way and you know i, I think that there's a lot of really, really, really good broadcasters out there that would be able to write a book about broadcasting, uh, but I think some of them are, are very vanilla. And, uh, you know, hey, did a great job describing what just happened. Uh, you painted the picture perfectly, but at the end of the day, I, I couldn't really tell if that was a big moment or a non-big moment. So uh, I want people to be pumped. I want people to be excited, and uh, and I'm going to have a little fun with it. And, you know, it, it's it's part of the show. I mean, we, we, are, in there, we are kind of in the entertainment business, so... I'm going to have a little fun with it, and hopefully uh, by me having some fun with it, the, the fans at home who are listening are enjoying it even that much more. And uh, whether it, uh, you know, again, for a guy that had to announce uh, that pizza uh, pickup number 34 is available on the microphone or worked <laughs> as the, uh, a manager at a Taco Bell and told people that the, in the drive-thru that, you know, thanks for stopping by uh, the Bensonville Taco Bell, but we are closed right now. Stop by tomorrow at 11 a.m. when Taco Bell reopens and make it sound like it's a recording and have some fun with it, but uh, you know that it just that, that's we're we're there to have fun. We're not you know again we're not uh, doing brain surgery or rocket science or anything else like that. We're broadcasting baseball games, and I think you know you should take your job seriously, but not yourself. And uh, that's what I try to do. How I I mean obviously it's 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 a conscious thing for you. That all being said, but like how much what. What's it like in your head as a game is going on where in terms of controlling your voice and using it as an instrument um, and being able to emote the way you want to emote and use your voice the way you want to use it and and react naturally but also be able to, to make it sound the way you want to sound, uh, if that makes sense, uh, and, yeah, and, and I, not, I know not go off the honestly, rails. I think it's just, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of going with the flow. I mean, I, I just there's no point where I sit there and say, well, wait a second, I've called three strikeouts and haven't done a big strikeout call yet. I think it's all part of the game. Um, you know, I'm not going to go nuts. You know, then that, that goes back to my time with Jimmy Pearsall. Um, you know, I, I did a game with Jimmy Pearsall. He came in when uh, the Cougars were playing the Chicago Cubs affiliate. And he came into my booth the very, very first year. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I had a chance to listen to you yesterday. I'm thinking to myself, wow, Jimmy Pearsall, who did games with Harry Carey. These were my two favorite broadcasters of all time. And boy, he's probably going to say something, you know, like, you know, everybody else has said that I enjoyed it. And he looked at me and he goes, you yell too much. And I said, what? And he said, you yell too much. You were yelling in the first inning. You were going crazy in the second. You're going nuts in the third. He goes, I'm trying to lay down in bed and listen to the game. And you're making me jump up all the time. You're wearing me out. He goes, Harry told me you got to build up to the moment. You got to build up. There might be a big player or two in the first or second inning. And you can get a little excited, but don't go nuts. Relax. Enjoy it. You know, build up to it. Save it for the big, big moments. And so, like I said, it was in maybe that first or, you know, year of me doing play-by-play for the Kane County Cougars where, you know, you realize that, you know what, he's right. And uh, you could wear the announcer out. I think there's some uh, hockey announcers right now that uh, these young guys, they announce every single moment uh, during a uh, hockey game. And I understand, hey, God bless you, that you can follow the puck. And I'm a hockey fan, so I know when I'm there, I could follow a puck too. But I don't know if the casual hockey fan at home could follow a puck. And I think you're wearing them out. So, it's just my opinion, but I, I think there are moments where you go nuts and uh, you, you kind of uh, go from there. And, and, and for me, like I said, Jimmy Peristall said, uh, you know, hey, build up to the moment. Take it easy. Don't go crazy in the first. Don't go nuts in the second. And uh, you can build up to it. And that's what I try to do. There's that old adage uh, that there's not a huge difference between baseball players in AAA and in the major leagues beyond the fact that the guys in the major leagues do it more consistently. Um, and that's why they, they produce at the level they do. Uh, from a broadcaster's standpoint, uh, what's the difference between guys that can make it from the that, – that, that, how do you crack the major league level, I guess, is the question, and then how do you, how do you maintain um, yourself at the major league level? You know, if I had that uh, magic answer, there'd be a lot of minor league guys calling me up right now. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I think that, again, like I said, there's different paths. I went all over the place, and uh, I ended up in the same spot that Andy Freed did that started at A-ball, went to double-A, went to triple-A, and then got to the big leagues. Um, you know, I, I think, again, just, you know, hone your craft. I think, you know, the thing we try to do, tell young kids, is 
do as many games as possible. Um, even kids that might not be in the minor leagues, uh, go to a high school game, go to a college game, a semi-pro game, and 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 be uh, you know be a guy that just work on your craft, hone your skills. Uh, Andy brought up a great point. You know, Mike Emmerich can describe 90 different ways uh, of a puck being dumped into the uh, offensive zone. Well, learning different ways to call pitch. Um, you know, he here here's the 1-0 offering. Here's the 1-0 pitch. The uh, delivery, you know, that kind of stuff. Come up with different ways and just look to hone your craft. Listen to other guys. But uh, I, I don't know what the magic uh, moment is to try to, you know, break through. Um, in my case, again, it was uh, a, a chance to be able to do some different games and be in the right spot at the right time. I honestly call myself kind of the Forrest Gump career because I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time when something happened. And uh, people had a chance to listen to me in Kane County and, uh, uh, you know, so then the White Sox heard me and, and I got the White Sox job. And then while I was with the White Sox, the guy who left the White Sox had gone on to become a marketing guy with the, uh, the you know, uh, the, the Devil Rays at the time. And, and that kind of helped me get a foot in the door there. So, you know, what, who you know sometimes gets you in the door, what you know and how you do it uh, will keep you in that door and in that room. And I think that's what Andy and I try to do right now. Um, you know, ego is a terrible thing to waste, but... Part of the reason why Andy and I got the gig we did was because uh, a couple of guys couldn't get along with one another. So um, Andy and I, uh, you know, as I said, it's not the Andy and Dave show. It's the Tampa Bay Rays uh, baseball on radio, and we just happen to be the broadcasters. We try to work hard. Um, we try to realize, too, that we're just the broadcasters. I think um, a lot of us, when we get to this position, start to think that not only are we the broadcasters, but we're the program director, the marketing guy, the sales guy, and also the general manager. And uh I just try to try to try to stay in my lane and have fun. And, uh, you know, I saw Vin Scully last summer and finally got a chance to introduce myself. And by the time our conversation was over, it felt like we knew each other for years. And as I was leaving Vin's booth, I said to him, I said, well, you know, Mr. Scully, I said, I did some math. And if I do games for 67 years, I'll be 116 my last year. <laughs> and he just looked at me and he said, well, you know, we are all living a little longer nowadays. So you never know. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I can guarantee you that that's not going to happen. <laughs> fair enough. Well, you never know, but uh, that's a fair adage. Um, one of the reasons I was I, I've been stoked to to be able to talk to you for this too, and I don't mean to to blow smoke at you, but I I do enjoy listening to 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 you and Andy. I, I think more than I, I think you'd probably be in my top two or three tandems. I enjoy most in the majors. Um, so I was Who's excited. Better? I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I grew up in New York, so I kind of like uh, Howie. But I know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, I was curious about your partnership, um, and you, you brought up the fact that, you know, being able to, to, to get along the way you guys get along, and you've both been there for the same amount of time, and you've both been there together. Um, why do you think it is that, that you guys work, and what is it about your, your relationship and partnership that uh, creates that um you know, that, that sense that you're just kind of hanging out watching baseball with people and that they've clicked and connected? You know, it's because Andy knows I'm the guy that's uh, the lead guy and he just gets out of my way. <laughs> um, that's pretty much the, you know, you know it, it, it's, it, for lack of a better term, it's a baseball marriage. It really is. Uh, you know, nothing's perfect. Uh, we've had a couple of bumps in the road, but I think one of the things that Andy and I tried to, uh, you know, put down right away was that if there's something that's bothering the other guy, let him know right away. And uh, I think we we had a couple of moments within our first uh, five or six years, and I don't think we've had a moment now in the last seven um, because of that, because we just kind of got that out of the way right away. I think the other thing is, too, everybody has an ego. Um, nobody's going to get to these positions that we're in uh, and at this level without having an ego, but we kind of check it at the door. Um, you know, we, we don't get too worried about who has the big call. We don't get, you know, we just switch off innings. Uh, that's the way it goes. And if he happened to get the call, Walk off home run three times in a row. Hey, so be it. Guess what? The Rays won. That's it. That's great. Uh, we don't get too worried. We don't get worried like some people do is uh, whose highlights being used in commercials or on the big screen or anything like that. So I think the biggest thing for Andy and I is that uh, it, you know the egos are checked at the door, and I think that affects uh, a lot of different broadcasts. And I think that's one of the reasons why we do have such a, a good pairing. I think the other thing is too is that. Uh, we both realize that it is not the Dave and Andy show. It's, it's Rays baseball. And so we just try to be good company. Um, and there was another comparison that somebody threw out there one day that, uh, you know, uh, it, it reminds me of listening to a, a scene from MASH where they're doing surgery. And yet they're, <laughs> while they're doing surgery, which is serious, they're not taking themselves serious. And I think that's how we do our broadcasts. Uh, 
you know, if we make a mistake, we'll joke around and say, well, there goes the perfect broadcast. Um, we, we don't make it, you know, the, we don't, we don't jump on each other about things. We don't make somebody else look bad. So, um, we have some of the same, um, likes. It's funny. We, uh, you know, both enjoy certain things and then we have some huge differences, but, uh, and then I travel 35 minutes North to go home and he travels 35 minutes South to go home. So, um, you know, we, we were married during the summer and then we hardly see each other during the winter. And I think, uh, that's part of the other thing that makes it work. I think, you know, again, we really enjoy each other's company. We have lunch almost every day together on the road. Um, we eat dinner together prior to the games. I mean, we always joke that the biggest moment outside of 7:10 is six o'clock when we go to eat. So, uh, um, you know, we, we just really do enjoy each other. And I think, you know, it comes across on the, um, during the broadcast because, um, you know, he laughs at some of my silly jokes. I laugh at some of his and I really think we do have a lot of fun together. And I think it does come across on the radio that way. What's the secret, and that's all part of it too, is, is um, but to, to working with a partner on radio, particularly when you talk about guys coming up through the minors, um, I haven't worked with a partner in baseball um, since I think my my second year doing baseball, and I mean, so it's probably been seven or eight years I've, I've done baseball solo, um, and then occasionally I'll have somebody pop in the booth with me here when we do a Ball State game, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, okay, what do I... This is new to me, uh, and it's just different because of the the pace of baseball versus basketball, or football, and all that. Um, what's the secret for you guys in terms of the way you interact? In terms of um, when you play off of each other, when you let the other one do his thing, um, and how you kind of utilize one another, uh, particularly being a a kind of dual play by play guy as opposed to a play by play and a true analyst. Well, I think what what helped both of us, to be honest with you, is that we both grew up in towns where they had you know duo uh, play-by-play guys, um, you know, it was, uh, uh, or at least, you know, dual broadcasters in, in, in the booth. So, you know, Andy grew up with, uh, you know, Chuck Thompson and, uh, you know, and John Miller was there, Joe Angel, all those guys. And then I had, like I said, not only Harry Carey, but, you know, even going back to the Cub days, Jack Brickhouse and uh, Vince Lloyd and Lou, um, you know, Boudreau and them. So we both knew what it was like to, to listen all the time to, to two or three people in the booth talking to each other. And I think so that gave us a base um, to, from which to build upon. And, and to us, there was, that was the way it was supposed to be. And then I think I, you know, having again worked in King County where I had a second guy at home most of the time, uh, continued to help, uh, you know, build that. So, so this was nothing new. I think some of these broadcasters that come up now, and I tell minor league guys this all the time, find a second person to do a game with, you know, every once in a while. Learn how to bounce things off that person and uh, – you know, again, Andy's always by my side, especially when it comes to the broadcast. He's also next to me when we talk to Kevin Cash or in the past Joe Madden for 35 or 40 minutes before the game. So he kind of knows what I'm thinking. I get the idea of uh, of what he's thinking. I don't think we're to the point now where we – well, we do on occasion finish each other's sentences. But, uh, you know, we, we do have a pretty good feel for what the other guy's looking at and what they catch. And, and uh, you know, again, it just comes with experience. It comes with working with each other. But – at the same time, Joel, I'll be honest with you. I think, um, you know, when they hired us, uh, the previous management group put us together back in 2005. We're watching a game together, and they said they wanted us to do a few innings together so that they can listen to see how it would work. I had never heard of Andy Freed before and had never, obviously never met him until we got together for lunch um, prior to the season. So, um, you know, we had never worked together. So they wanted us to do a couple of innings and do a game together. And, I, and by the end of the first half inning of doing a – a practice game into a tape recorder, and uh, I think it was in Sarasota. I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I and we said, "We don't need to do anymore. We're we're ready. We 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 work well together." So I, I wish I knew what the the winning formula was, but whatever it is, I think Andy and I have it. Not to sound uh, conceited, but I think we do have it because it is a, a good broadcast. It's not one guy trying to out talk the other. It's not one guy trying to one up the other. It's two guys that are trying to bring uh, you know entertaining and educational baseball to fans across Tampa Bay. Um, on the, the entertaining and educational side, uh, secrets to storytelling for you in terms of how you weave them in the right way? I, you mentioned Vin earlier. I feel like every time Vin Scully told a story, it would end as the inning ended, um, and it, it, it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, the, what's the sauce to make that happen, and, and how do you approach weaving things in uh, the right way so that they're, they're followable, they're informative, they're entertaining, um, and they get the point across? You know, I mean, and, and I think that's what makes us a real good team because I think, I think in my personal opinion, Andy's much better at doing that than I am. Um, you know, I just, 
I'm more of the, uh, the, the like, like you said before, more of the verbose guy with the big calls and everything. But Andy does a wonderful job of weaving stories in. And, uh, you know, a lot of that comes with homework. Though. I mean, and the, the more homework you do and the more information that you're able to gather, uh, then, then you can intertwine those stories in because the more you know you're not reading them, it's in your mind. It's, it's already transfixed into the back of your mind. It's while the game's going on, you know what parts to, to include, you know what parts to take away. And you know how, to, and it's going to fit in a lot better as opposed to if you uh, open up a uh, player profiles program, and you're just reading the sentence that's right in front of you while you're trying to describe the game. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that Andy and I talk about. It's the game's in front of you. It's not on the computer screen. It's not on your notes. It's not in your game notes. What we're doing is in front of us. Keep your eyes open to what's on the field, and so that's where preparation comes in, Joel. I think it's a matter of, it, it, you know, again, if you did your homework and you know the story and you don't have to read it and uh, look down and look away from the game. Um, I think preparation is a big part about being able to weave those stories into play. And, uh, and that's why I said I think Andy's, uh, you know, Andy prepares like no other guy that I know. He does a lot of reading and gets ready for the game. And uh, I'm, I'm still that's an area that if, if there's an area where I thought I have to improve upon, it would be weaving those things in. But uh, there are some stories from former big leaguers, you know, and I think a lot of it comes to listening. Um, we, we're, we get paid to talk. But while we're not on the air, listen. Listen to the stories from the big leaguers. Find out what makes an Avalon go be a tick, what he does, and why he does it that way. Find out what Corey Dickerson did differently and uh, why, you know, all of a sudden now um, his season might be kicking off. And even in the case of Logan Morrison hitting two home runs on Father's Day, and he points to the sky, well, you know, that's for his father who died from lung cancer a few years ago. So, you know, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. Uh, in, a, in a profession where you're paid to talk, it also pays to, to to listen and watch what's going on too. You're a batting cage guy, um, in terms of getting information and all that kind of stuff too. A little bit, not as much as uh, as one might think. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's some things where we've got some guys. I, I know that that's where they're working. So, um, what I usually do is we we spend about 35 to 40 minutes in the uh, manager's office with Kevin to tape our 10 minute pregame show, and we uh, go back and forth on the game before. Uh, go back and forth on what might happen in that particular game. So we get a lot of information from Kevin. And then when you're in the dugout, uh, you know, during the game, uh, before the game. So I guess you could call it that. I mean, dugout, batting cage, whatever the case may be. If there's a player that's walking by and I got a question about him or I need to go find something out, I'll go ask him. But uh, I don't really linger in the clubhouse too much because, uh, you know, that's their domain. They're getting ready for to do something that they need to do. And and uh, if I have a question, I'll go ask it and try to get the answer. But I'm not, I'm not really a big lingerer. And, uh, um, you know, there are some things if I got a question for the hitting coach or a question for the pitching coach that I'll try to get the answer to. But, you know, you got to be careful, too. There, there's certain baseball guys. Like Evan Longoria is very eloquent, and you can ask him a question about the game, and he, it, it's, it's going to be really, really good. And then there's other guys that are just going to give you the typical baseball talk. And sure. so, uh, you know, it, it, you, you pick your spots. But uh, – you know, gather your information any way you possibly can. Uh, you know, guys are on social media now, so you can pick some stuff off of Twitter. Uh, you can pick things off of, uh, you know, the newspaper articles from the night before and, and listen to the, you know, I'll listen to Neil's postgame show on the way home to see if I can get immediate reaction from a player or a, a manager or somebody from, from the game. So there's many, many different ways to get the information nowadays. But I wouldn't say I just hang around the, uh, the, uh, the padding cage all game because, we're all pregame because those guys got a job to do and, and, and they've got a process and some of these guys just don't like to be bothered. Um, last question. On, I'll, I'll end with you on a lighthearted note. Uh, what's it like to have your own bobblehead? With Andy, nonetheless. <laughs> well, you know what? A lot of people were asking that question uh, when I left uh, Chicago. They said I should have a bobblehead and when am I going to get one? And I said, well, they're still <laughs> working on a spring that can hold this head up. And, uh, so, uh, uh, they, they they probably cut down on the head of my, uh, size of my head, which probably helped. But uh, it, it's it's pretty neat. It's uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know you never thought. Um, it's not like you grow up saying, "Oh wow, I'd like to have my own bobblehead." But it was pretty cool. It uh, had a button, so it talked. And uh, oh, that's cool. You know, it was, the, the real weird thing was to start seeing it on eBay. Uh, you know, the next <laughs> couple of days, at, you know, thirty five, forty, fifty bucks. Uh, you know, when you've got friends and family who look at it and just start laughing, but. Uh, it was neat. It was very nice of them. Um, it was a little 10th anniversary uh, homage to both Andy and I. And the only problem is right now, from what, I'm, what I understand, is that um, the batteries are starting to run out, and there's no compartment to change the batteries. So, <laughs> so you know, it, it's it's starting to fade a little bit. I guess the, they only had a, a three or four year warranty on the batteries, but uh, 
or maybe a two or three year warranty on the batteries, but it is kind of neat. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's nice. It was nice to be able to give them my dad, nice to be able to give this to some friends and family. And, uh, it's also kind of funny to go into like a restaurant or, you know, one of the local places around here that I've hung around in now for the last 12, 13 years. And, uh, became friends with the owner or the manager and I, you know, they would ask for one. So I gave it to him and then you'd be sitting at the bar. And the bartender might be new and she'd turn around and she'd go, wait a second, is that you? <laughs> so, uh, it, it is kind of, it's just, it is a neat thing. And, uh, I, I was very grateful and very happy that, uh, Somebody figured out uh, that there were springs tough enough to hold my head up and that the Rays wanted to do it. See, but they should already know how to hold the head up like that because they had to do the Dwayne Stats one with the hair. So, Well, <laughs> the, fro, the fro is, uh, you know, fro is a, a thing within its own. But, yeah, it was – like I said, I think I have a little more girth in my head than his fro. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Dave, if, uh, I know you're really active on social media. Uh, if people wanted to follow you uh, during games, I know you went, you're, you're active. Um, how do they do that? Uh, I am at Dave Wills 34 uh, at Dave Wills 34. And uh, I try to answer questions during the game. Um, I'll, I'll, I try to feed off those questions. Uh, if somebody wonders like yesterday, somebody wanted to know a few things about uh, what was going on in the game and why we did, uh, you know, did certain things. And I tried to explain it to them. And, um, you know, so we, we try to be interactive. That's the other thing that uh, I think has, has allowed us to continue to grow is that um, we are approachable. Um, they, when they hired us back in 2005, they talked about fan connectivity, and I think that that's something that Andy and I have tried to do, and we have been able to do that. And, and you know, Twitter and uh, a few other social media aspects are, are a big part of it now. So, uh, at Dave Wills 34, at Rays Radio are two of the ways to do it. That is Dave Wills of the Tampa Bay Rays here on Play by Play Cast. By the way, the bobbleheads, uh, you can buy one right now on eBay, 39.99. I don't know if the batteries will work. Hopefully they will. But thirty nine ninety nine, you can buy a Dave and Andy talking bobblehead right now on uh, on eBay right now if you go look it up. So have at it. I do think the Dwayne Stats one has a larger head too, by the way. He just more hair. And it's a bobblehead, so it's all the same weight. But six of one. Uh if you can get to the point in your career where you have a bobblehead, I'm pretty sure they had a t-shirt night this week too, or a couple of weeks ago that they did Dave and Andy t-shirts. I saw that on Twitter. They're beloved and I love the trop. I'm weird. I know the trop is a dump of a ballpark. It's one of my favorites. I'm just partial to that team. I'm partial to those broadcasters. Uh, they're great guys. And I'm, I'm glad we could have Dave here on the pod. Uh, next week we will go out West a couple of episodes ago, I taped an intro and an outro of this podcast from Moab, Utah. Uh, well, to get to Moab, Utah, I flew into Salt Lake City. And while I was in Salt Lake City, I reached out to Craig Bowlerjack, who is the voice of the Utah Jazz on television. We weren't able to meet in Utah. We did meet over the phone. Craig Bowlerjack is our voice. Uh, is our voice. He's our guest. He will lend us his voice on next week's episode of Play by Play Cast. For Dave Wills, though, this week, my name is Joel Godet. Thank you for clicking subscribe, download, and joining us again. And we will talk to you next week right here on PXP Cast. We're out.